0: Sacred City Life podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean, pastor of Sacred City Church in Davenport, Iowa. And this is the Sacred City or Sacred Life podcast that's all about following Jesus in the everyday rhythms of life. And today we are coming back for another Theology for Everyone segment on this podcast because our understanding of God Shapes how we walk with Jesus. It influences um, how we walk with Jesus on a day-to-day basis. Many of us don't think that you know theology actually impacts our day-to-day life, but it does. What we believe about God is the most important thing about us, and uh, and so we want to constantly being re, uh, being reformed in our understanding of God, and we want to be more accurate in our understanding of Scripture and what the what the Bible teaches. And so one of the ways that we're, we're um, helping all of our church become better theologians is by doing this Theology for Everyone podcast. So if you're listening to us, we hope you're finding it helpful and fruitful. I've gotten a few messages that some people say they are. And I pray that you would encourage people in your mission community to listen to it, Fight Club to listen to it, pass it around on social media, wherever you're at, um, because we're, we're putting some time into this and we just want it to be fruitful. And some many of you guys are saying that you think it's fruitful. And so Help us get it into other people's hands. We know social media and the digital market is a busy place, and it's hard to get your name known and get your stuff out there. And so, um, help us do that. We'd really appreciate it if you rated us on, um, on the podcast app because that pushes us up and helps more people find us. So please do that. Um, but with me, this is our first official podcast in the new year, and I've got my three residents with me. Say hi, guys.
1: How's it going, Go on, guys?
0: Yes. And uh, we are enjoying some of the finer things of life right now. We've got a a cigar and got something to drink. And um, these are good gifts that God's given us. But the other good gift, another good gift that God's given us is just the fellowship, just to be able to hang out Mm. and do this. You know, this is uh, something I really enjoy to do. I enjoy hanging out with other men. I enjoy having friendships. I enjoy talking theology. I enjoy smoking cigars to the glory of God. And I enjoy drinking strong drink to the glory of God. So thank you guys for joining me. And Kevin, what what do we got today? We are starting with uh, chapter 4, sections 1 and 2 on creation. Okay. Chapter 4 in the Westminster Confession of Faith, articles 1 and 2 on creation. Now, I'm just going to say right off the bat, I think um, creation, our understanding of creation... Is foundational to how we live our life, and it's and this is one of the key pieces of the Christian story. Mm. That if you get wrong, you get kind of you get a lot of other things wrong, and this is one piece of theology and history that the world is dead set on attacking. Mm. Um, And so we're going to get in. So I, I think the. Understanding the doctrine of creation is one of the most important things for us to understand, for us to be articulate and to teach our children and to teach that people were discipling, Um, that we actually came from somewhere and someone, and that impacts the way that we should live our life and what we're for even. So I'm excited to jump into this. Now we can go off into the weeds, and we might go off into the weeds just a little bit. It's only two articles. Can you believe this?
2: It's the shortest one.
0: Yeah, there's like, there was like eight articles on predestination and election, and he's only going to do two mm. on creation. But let's jump into it um, right away. And I'm going to go ahead and just read the first one, and then we'll go back through and, and pull out some scriptures and talk about it. Chapter 4, Westminster Confession of Faith, Article 1. It pleased God the Father... Son, and Holy Ghost, for the manifestation of the glory of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness, in the beginning, to create or make of nothing the world and all things therein, whether visible or invisible, in the space of six days, and all very good. Okay, the doctrine of creation, of God creating all things out of nothing for his own good pleasure. Let's go um, break that down a little bit and pull out some, uh, some scriptures. Okay, article one, it pleased God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Right away, we see here that creation, the act of creation was a Trinitarian act involving the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go ahead, let's read a scripture on
1: that. John 1, verse 2 and 3. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made.
0: Okay, so before that is, in the beginning was the the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Nothing was made that wasn't made through him. And so how did God, in Genesis 1, God speaks creation into existence. Okay, so God exists all by himself spiritually as a spirit, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. There is no creation at this time. And God says, let there be light. God says, let there be and speaks. John 1 tells us that the word was Jesus. So Jesus was present there at the creation. Um, We also see at the creation, um, God himself says, let us make man in our image. Well, who's us? We see in the in the Creation account, the Holy Spirit um, dwelling over the face of the waters, right? Mm -hmm. And so the work of creation was a Trinitarian work, Mm -hmm. all right? Did we have another scripture? Was that it? Yep, Bryson.
2: Yeah, Genesis 1 2. Uh, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters.
0: Boom. So we see the Father present, um, we see the Son present through the spoken word, and we see the Spirit present. who's hovering over the face of the waters um, as like a dove hutter, hovers or flutters. And that should remind us again of Jesus and the and the dove coming down and hovering over him. Mm-hmm. Is that it for that? And then I have one more. Okay. Um, Job 33,
2: verse 4. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life.
0: Ooh, Because God breathes into mankind the Spirit. Okay. So it pleased God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost— for the manifestation of the glory of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness. Any text there?
2: Yep. This is Romans 1.20, if I can get there. Uh, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And the things that have been made, so they are without excuse.
0: Okay, so the Westminster Divine said God did this, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. in order to manifest his glory of his eternal power, eternal wisdom, and eternal goodness. Mm -hmm. Okay? When you look at a Tesla Model X. Ooh, talk about it. Yeah. Them suicide doors that pop up.
1: Yeah, it's nice.
0: They got that launch mode. It's like zero to eighty in like one point eight seconds or some crazy thing. My buddy had one. He let me drive. He, he drove me around and did the launch mode thing. Nearly lost my lunch. My kid was screaming in the back seat. Ah, he was, it was crazy. That is a beautiful machine, right? And the more complex, the more beautiful, the more intricate, the more expansive of a creation. It just brings glory to the creator, right? Yeah. Um, a Ford Pinto doesn't cause too many people to worship, right? It doesn't manifest the glory of a creator that much, but a Tesla model X a little bit more. Yeah. Now, when we look at creation and the galaxies that were created and how big and everything is and how beautiful everything is and how glorious we immediately see, okay, whoever, wherever this thing came from, there had to be a, an eternal source of power, of energy, mm-hmm. of light, of life itself, because we know that life never comes from non-life. Yes. And so we all have life, so that's a derivative of something. We have some source of power, that's a derivative of some, we have some beauty, that's a derivative of something. The, the galaxies declare his praise. And so God created to bring glory to himself, and creation itself does that. Now, many atheists argue no creation doesn't do that. Because look at all the death. Look at all the decay. Look at all the destruction. Well, yeah, yeah. We're not talking about fallen creation. We're talking about ed- Edenic creation. We're talking about before the, before the fall of man, all of creation declared the glory of God and declared his excellence. We still have a sense of it. Romans 1 still tells us. But it's, it's marred with sin now as well. Okay? In the beginning to create or make of nothing or make from nothing... The world and all things therein, whether visible or invisible, in the space of six days and all very good. Mm -hmm. What scriptures we got? Um, Hebrews?
1: Hebrews 11.3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. Mm. So...
0: Do we have any other text before I riff on that or no? Yeah, one more. You might have
1: heard of it. It's
0: uh, Colossians 1.16. Once or twice. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Okay. So the doctrine of creation stands at odds with the predominant view of the beginnings of the universe that our society holds today. Now, here's the doctrine of creation. God existed. He's eternal, omnipotent, almighty, powerful. Go back and listen to On God that we've already talked about in the earlier podcasts. He has all goodness in of himself, strength, power, needs nothing, Um, He's not a contingent being. God is happy in himself. God is God with all of his eternal power. And God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, decide in the eternal counsel of their own will to create. Mm -hmm. And out of the spirit of God and the word, he creates physicality. He creates matter. He creates light. He creates earth, water. He creates everything. Mm -hmm. He creates it out of it. So we believe... Out of nothing came something, or out of, we would say, out of God Mm -hmm. came everything, right? Now, this makes sense in a lot of ways. One, we've already said it, being never comes from non-being. And life never comes from non-life, right? And order never comes from chaos. Order comes from an orderer, right? Cause, so we, we talk about cause and effect, Right, you never have an uncaused cause, right? Mm-hmm. Well, God is the one who caused. He is the first cause. He is the first mover. He is the one who created everything. Okay, now this is at odds again with. We, I'll just talk modern day uh, Big Bang theory, and I, I remember debating an atheist, and and he told me. I said, "Well, where did where did, you know, the earth came from? Where did the earth come from?" Well, it came from, you know, ex- these uh, gasses and these expansions mm-hmm. and then I'm like, "Oh, oh, oh okay, okay, okay. I, where did those where did the gasses come from?" Well, well, you know, and he's going back and we could keep going back and back to smaller and smaller and smaller mm-hmm. particles or energy or whatever it is, and I, and I just kept asking the the playground question, "Well, where did that come from?" Well, where did that come from? Well, where did that come from? Well, he couldn't answer it because eventually you get back to what atheists believe, and I call it the virgin birth of the cosmos because it's a miracle. They get back to this event, event, whatever it is, they get back to this one where somehow something spread sprang from nothing. Well, that's illogical. It's actually more logical to believe in a spiritual God who created this earth. Because every when I walk into a room and I see a Lego creation, I don't think, oh, I wonder how that happened. I wonder if that just sprang into existence. If the wind and the molecules and the pressure of this room created that Lego creation. No, I'm like, oh, I bet my kid's been in here. I bet my kid did that, right? And so that's what we believe about creation. Now, can there be an event that things exploded and all of that happened? Yeah, sure. I would say that happened when God said, let there be light. Yeah. Boom, bang. Big bang happened right then. Let there be light. Bang, happened. But there's a cause behind it. There's a causer behind it. There's a, there's a person behind it. Think about it also. Also, the theory of evolution tied to this big bang theory, how can personhood come from impersonhood? How could you have matter somehow evolves into personhood, right? That's a huge jump. That's an illogical jump. You have no scientific evidence at all of non-personhood creating personhood, right? So we believe a person is behind the creation of everything, God himself,
2: right? So is that the... You talked about some of these things being foundational. Would that, the fact that they're being just something that started everything, would that be the foundational part of this? Like where can you vary off into some of these other like beliefs about creation?
0: So, like I said, we all live some story. Mm -hmm. Every story has a beginning, has a middle, has an end, right? What you believe about the human story affects how you live within it. If I look and I say, and I believe that I was created by a personal God to be in relationship with him, to know him and walk him and to be in relationship with other people, we're going to see it's not good that man should be alone. He puts me in a relationship there that I can immediately see one of the things that I was made for is communion with God and communion with other people. Okay. That tells me what I'm for. Now, it also tells me that there is a divine lawgiver, there's a guy who created, there's a person that created the laws of gravity, there's a person that created the laws of physics, there's a person that created the laws of morality. So it also tells me how I should live this life. I should. Li- I was created by this God, I was created for this God, I should be in relationship with this God, this God has revealed himself to me through the word and told me how I should live my life. Let's just go 10 commandments and the great commandment, love God and love others, right? And he tells me what I'm for. He even tells me what my sexuality is for, right? So I go back to creation to be informed by all these things. And then, of course, I know that we're fallen, so we're in sin. We need to be redeemed through Jesus Christ. But I also know where we're headed, and that's the new heavens and the new earth. Well, the the prevailing science of our day says we came from nowhere. We were an accident. And we're all going to live a few years on this spinning globe and then we're going to die, and the earth is going to burn up, and this was all for nothing. That's the story. Now you can get more; they can get more romantic, or they can jump into Christianity and try to steal some of our morals, and steal some of our purpose, and steal some of our worldview. But they don't have it on their own. Mm-hmm. And so the easy question for any atheist or any somebody who worships at this—they uh, believe in the you know the Big Bang, we all came from nothing—is then why can't I do whatever I want with my life? And the true Stephen Pinkers of the world, most of them, believe you can. Believe they, you know, believe that you can do whatever you want. They're nihilists or nihilists, and they believe there is no morality. All morality is just a figment of uh, our cultural construct, and you can make up morality and immorality all you want. There is no right way to live your life. There is no um, do this and honor honor God because there is no God. There was no creator, mm-hmm. and so if you have no creator, then you can use you can, so think of it. You create a flashlight, right? There's a certain way that flashlight's meant to be used, right? You can use it for a hammer if you want. But what happens to the flashlight if you use it for a hammer?
2: You're going to break it.
0: It breaks, right? It might work once or twice. It might get away from it once or twice. But then you break the flashlight. Same thing with the human body. The same way, th- way with creation. You can, he, there's like I said, laws of physics, laws of um, gravity, laws of human nature. You cross them, you break them,
1: eventually they will break you. So what do you, what do you say to the person that uh, says if your God is so awesome, why create everything if there's going to be a fall?
0: Yeah, well, he, does, he did it. We already know the right answer. The right answer is because he's God and he can do whatever right. the heck he wants to do. For sure. And the second answer is to bring glory to himself that he knew by giving mankind somewhat of autonomy, the ability, the liberty, the ability to make decisions on his own, that he was going to maximize his glory. If I, it's one, so if I create, you know, like, there's, like the Stepford Wives, if you ever know the story about the Stepford Wives, Stepford Wives is these men basically created robot wives and these robot wives would just do anything they said, right? They were beautiful robots, cooked, cleaned, just did everything. Well, the problem with that is you don't have a real relationship. They, they cook and clean for you, but they're never going to ask you a hard question. They're never going to challenge you on your laziness or challenge you on your, show, you know, being a chauvinist or being a misogynist or being too aggressive or too dumb or too whatever. A robot's never going to do that. And so to create a robot wife is actually hurting you. It's, uh, it hurts you. If God, that's, God didn't create robots. He created real people that could love him or reject him. And then ultimately, because we did reject him, because we did fall into sin, we see a new side of God that we never would have seen before. Pure benevolence, pure grace, pure mercy as Jesus the Son becomes a man and lives the life that we should live and dies the death that we deserve in our place on a rugged cross, buck naked for the world to make fun of him. Could any man ever imagine a god of omnipotent power dying buck naked 2,000 years ago as a heretic to save people like us? So it brings, ultimately, to bring glory to himself.
2: That's why he did it. So with, I think I heard maybe it was Chandler say, like referring to like uh, Christ's return, like, you're either going to bow or you're going to bow. Like, isn't that almost like, I don't want to say robotic, but like creation's ultimate event is going to end the same way in a sense.
0: Mm -mm. Yeah. It's because it's determined does not mean it's robotic. Okay. So there's a big difference between bowing my knee now in this life when I'm walking by faith than bowing my knee in the new creation when it's before my eyes, right?
1: Yeah.
0: And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, but some will confess in hell at, eternal, at the eternal judgment, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There's a big difference between me volitionally because the Spirit has saved me and the Spirit has opened my mind and opened my heart and given me this new will, that me choosing to do that by faith now, there's a big difference between that than than uh, when I'm doing it by sight mm-hmm. and the new heavens and the new earth. Yeah. This is why you have Hebrews is it Hebrews eleven, the hall of faith. They they all did this. Um, Abraham did it longing for the country that was to come, right? He left his country longing for the eternal home, longing for the new heavens and the new earth. That was an act of faith. So there is there's a there's a, a big difference mm-hmm. between it. It's like the guy who, you know, this is a cheesy illustration, but like you, you know, you're a Bears fan or whatever, and you're a Bears fan, you're a Bears fan, and then the guy who's a Bears fan when they make it to the to the to the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. There's a big difference, like
2: like all Alabama fans. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, listen, bro. <laughs> what did you? Like, <laughs> What's
1: going on? Here? He, he said like
0: all Alabama fans. Uh, listen, bro. If I need to go back to high school in Iowa and bring out my Alabama starter jacket. <laughs> When Gene Stallings was the coach and we weren't winning hardly any games, I can.
1: You got to throw uh, put a throwback on this uh, on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. put a little photo up.
0: <laughs> so, um, so we believe creation is a gift. We believe there's a givenness to things that God has given us creation. That's why when I'm smoking this cigar, I'm not joking by saying I'm doing it to the glory of God. Like God was not surprised when mankind rolled up tobacco and smoked it. He wasn't. In the Old Testament, you have wine and you have strong drink. And God was not surprised. Like I, I am constantly surprised. Like I've got a couple books now. I'm really big into bourbon. I've got a couple books on bourbon. I'm reading it. And I'm just like, how do people how did people invent this? You gotta ferment. You know, corn, and you got to ferment. You know, a little bit of rye. You got to put a little bit of yeast in there. You got to let it soak. Then you got to set a fire to it, and then it's got to evaporate. And then you got to catch the evaporation. And you got to push that back through, and then it comes out white hot and like 180 proof, and it will kill you if you drink too <laughs> yeah. much of it. So then, what are they going to do? Then that's moonshine, basically. Then they're gonna then they put it in oak barrels. Not even regular oak barrels, but charred oak. Barrels, and then if you didn't know this, the color of bourbon and all the almost all the flavor of bourbon, none of it is added. All that comes from the, the flavor in the corn, the flavor in the whatever it is, the the rye or the wheat or the or um, the, the barley, and all of the color comes from the charred oak barrel. And you so you get flavor from the barrel too. And so, I'm 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 constantly thinking like. And this is why I love my Alabama roots, man. I'm like, what hillbilly came up with this? What hillbilly is in the woods saying, "Let's burn this and let's, you know, let's
1: before social media though. Let's you know?
0: catch this, yeah, <laughs> in the backwoods, and then let's put it in oak barrel, and then it comes out even better than we put it in. And let's yeah. age it for six years. I love it, man. I just think it's fascinating to me. We would
1: have said a year now, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a couple of months. Now I think it's ready. <laughs> yeah, but
0: for real, it, it takes patience through that. So, anyways, this world is given, okay, as opposed to what. We're taught in school, as we're taught in the university, as we're taught by many, that says this is just a random accident that we're here. Now, there's some interesting things to get into when we talk about this, because um, in the Westminster Confession, it says, all of this was created, whether visible or invisible, in the space of six days, and all very good. Well, that again puts us at odds with Prevailing science of our day, we say, you know, when did this happen? I'll, I'll answer some questions. When did this happen? Um, in the beginning, that's when it happened. <laughs> Other than that, I don't think we really we don't know we don't know um, how long ago it was. Um, but we get this story in the beginning, God, and then we see God creating in six days, and so there's. Science comes out, prevailing science of the day comes out and says that the world and the universe and everything is millions of years old, okay? So how do we square that with the biblical account of God created in six days? And it doesn't seem to be millions of years ago. It seemed to be relatively, you know, recent history, right? 12,000 years ago, 15,000 years ago, whatever, something along those lines. 10,000 years ago, something like that. So how do we square that? Well, there's a lot of different ways people try to square it. Um, and it, and most of the time I say this usually depends upon your level of education and your kind of level of scientific, um, catechesis is what I would call it. Mm-hmm. So if you were raised in public education and you studied the sciences in college, and physical sciences in college, and maybe you went on to be, you know, biology major or a medical majors, you know, medical profession, something along, along those lines. You have been convinced thoroughly that the year, that the that the, uh, the universe is, you know, millions of years old. And if you if you're already convinced of that, then you come to the text and you say, well, how can I? I know you, this is what you say. I know this is true. I know, I can, I can trust science here. I know this is true. So how can I trust scripture? Well, there's a couple different ways that with people with that kind of mentality have made sense of the Genesis account and, and tried to coalesce those two worldviews, okay? One is called like the age gap theory, which basically means when God created in the beginning, in the beginning, God created, boom, he created all the rough stuff of creation. He just created it. And then, when it said the spirit is moving on, uh, over, hovering over the face of the, the world, we don't know how long that happened. Maybe God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and He created the rough stuff of everything, and He didn't actually form them into "Let there be light," let, dividing dividing all the things. Maybe that was a maybe. There's a millions years age gap between that. That's what some. That's what some people believe. Um, other people believe that when God created in six days it wasn't actually six literal days because you have things in the creation account like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil right now when we read our children's storybook bible what does that tree look like I
2: don't have one a tree I guess apple tree
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah it looks like an apple tree right but tell me, what does a tree of knowledge and good and evil look like? Right, what, what is what's Scampy hanging up. on that fruit? What's <laughs> hanging off the of the boughs of that of that tree? So what I'm getting at is, we don't know if that was a literal tree with an that with fruit that that was an apple that he just gave a metaphorical name to knowledge of good and evil, or maybe it's. Um, Allegorical, in a sense, I don't know if allegory is the right word, but metaphorical, or it's it's a poetic way of saying a, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Okay, mm. so maybe when he's he saying the first day I created, morning and evening, the second day I created, maybe that's a little bit of a metaphor. Maybe it's a poetic way of speaking. Other places, two other places in the in the Bible. Scripture says a day is like a thousand years unto the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. Okay, so God is eternal. God exists outside of time. God's not governed by time. So maybe, you know, it's a metaphorical amount of time. The six days is actually a metaphorical amount of time. It could have been ages and eons and millions of years. Some people believe that. I don't. I don't believe in the age gap. I don't believe in the metaphorical six days. But some people do. And they're still Christians and they still believe in a literal Adam and Eve and they still believe in God was the creator. And so out of that, they they also hold to what we would call microevolution. I think microevolution is scientifically verifiable, scientifically provable, provable, created things like dogs and cats and cows and people and everything. We can evolve in, in, in a micro way. So you put us in a certain scenario, a certain context, a certain temperature, a certain jungle, or certain whatever, and we, and they, those creatures can evolve to better fit that environment. That is different than macro evolution, which basically means just, you know, we, you know what macro is. Nothing becomes something, something becomes a cell, a cell becomes whatever, you know, and then it becomes, you know, a A squid or whatever the heck it is, and then it becomes a fish, and then it becomes a frog, whatever, and then it jumps, and all of a sudden it's a bird now, and now all of a sudden it's a monkey, and now all of a sudden it's a human. These are macro evolutions, things completely changing categories, Mm. right? And obviously the biggest one is um, uh, is an animal becoming or evolving to become a human being that has rationality and that has a a, a self, right? Has Uh, Consciousness has a soul, so um, we. I think the Bible rejects macroevolution, but microevolution, it's. I think it's fine with, and I think. um, But there's so, um, and then the other, the other way of interpreting.
1: um, So are you saying, just kind of going back, like when it says tree in the garden in Genesis three, like that's not what it's saying, or,
0: no. when, no it's because saying, it talked
1: about fruit and you know yeah,
0: it's saying that but it's okay so do you know what a tree what a tree of knowledge of good and evil looks like or a tree of life looks like those are the two trees that he's talking about do you have do you have one of those in your yard
1: <laughs> no I'm talking about okay
0: so I know what an oak tree looks like mm-hmm. I know what an apple tree looks like I know what a pear tree looks like yeah I don't know what a tree of knowledge of good and evil looks like. Right? Mm. So that could be a poetic way of describing something. Mm. Right? So there's we say that we say things all the time that are poetic. It's raining cats and dogs. Right? You say try to translate that to somebody in Spanish. And they're going to look at you like Bro, I didn't see one cat or one dog fall out of that sky. That's a poetic way. That's a metaphorical way of trying to say the it's pounding rain outside. It's just dumping, right? It's raining cats and dogs. Maybe the tree of knowledge of good and evil is a metaphorical way of describing. I told them not to do this one thing because if you do it, you're gonna get knowledge and I don't know. That's what they would say. Mm. And so there's other and there's other things in the creation account that that are poetic, right? Um, and, and are kind of out of order. He says, let there be light before he creates the sun, right? That's, well, how did he do that? Well, maybe God is the light himself because out of the light just springs light, right? Like in the new heavens and new earth, we don't even need a sun because God himself is our light. So there's just things like that that, that could allow you to, to interpret it um, a little less literalistic okay and that leads me to the next point another way of getting kind of around this idea of maybe the earth is millions of years old and blah 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 is it's a hypothesis that Genesis 1 is is different than Genesis 2 so Genesis 1 basically one is one is poetry and one is more one is more literal okay and there's just a and there's just a gap there between God's describing this kind of poetically and God's and this is exactly what he did in the exact same way that he did it and um, and so and that's how people um, get around that. I see a little more um, truth to that one. I could be possibly convinced by that one because you kind of see some overlap. In Genesis 1, it's kind of a poem. And then Genesis 2, he gets to the nitty-gritty of he makes man male and female, and this is what he does. Um, But I personally still hold to a literal six-day creation. I think God created it. I think it's just the easiest way to read Scripture. I think it's the easiest understanding of the text. When it comes to, well, how old do you think the earth is? I say, I don't know. I just don't know and I'm willing to go with whatever, honestly like I will yield that to science millions of years old, okay that doesn't bother me because it just says in the beginning God created. It doesn't say when this happened, mm-hmm. right We don't know when this when this happened. So and I do believe in a literal Adam and Eve. okay I think that's very important. Okay, any other qu- questions on that?
2: What would you advise to? parents, I guess that specifically send their kids to like public schools who are maybe teaching these things a little more than a Christian private school would, What? how would you advise parents to kind of work with their kids around this topic? Especially if it's one where it's like, there are some things that are kind of open-handed.
0: Well, I would teach them just what the Bible says first, but I would also teach them that, okay, oh, I'm going to have to get into this now. Well, we've already talked about it a little bit before. Um, God speaks to us in two ways he speaks to us through his general revelation which is the created world science helps us discover God's general revelation right that's how he speaks to us so science the scientific method will never discover anything that contradicts God okay first way God speaks in general revelation. Second, God speaks through special revelation. Okay, and special revelation is His word, of, is the word of God. That's how He speaks to us. Now, let me show you how kind of complicated this can be. There's scriptures that talk about the sun rising, or you know, the sun rising and the sun setting, and and seemed, you know, like the sun going around. It seems like okay from a human perspective. When you stand out in your yard, if you get, go out in your yard at 5 a.m. and you stay there until 10 p.m. in the summer, it's going to look to you like the sun is revolving around the earth, right? Yeah. And scripture kind of describes it that way because that's the human experience, mm-hmm. right? That's our natural human experience. If scripture would say, would come, would have, it's scripture is not a scientific textbook. It's not interested in telling us everything about everything. We're meant to go discover that. Scripture is about telling us how to be saved, tell us who God is. So there's no scripture that says that the earth, earth revolves around the sun. Yeah. Right? Or the earth. So in the, you know, in the, whenever it was, I don't even remember if it was the 18th century or 17th century, when, when, when Galileo and everyone... when, they, when the, the modern, During that time, the, the prevailing belief from the church and society was that the earth was the center of the universe, right? And everything revolved around the earth. Well, in the Copernican Revolution, he comes out and says, scientifically, nope, right? We're revolving around the sun, right? The church condemned that, condemned him as a heretic, the church came and said, "No, that's contra- that's contradicting scripture." Well, it wasn't contradicting. We look at it now, and we're like, "No, that wasn't contradicting scripture at all," but it was contradicting their small literalistic interpretation of the scripture,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? That's that's just describing the human experience. God never says the earth is the center of all all, all creation. Yeah. Right. So, a mom that during that day would have would likely said, "Hey, don't trust." Cope, don't co- trust the Copernican revolution that they're going down a liberal pathway and they're believing, you know, that's anti-Bible. It wasn't anti-Bible. Okay. That was a, that was where Christians needed to learn how to read natural revolution, revelation more accurately, and then interpret their special revelation scripture more accurately. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, and that g- got us to the truth, right? Well, same. The same goes when it comes to creation and evolution. What we know for sure, sure is that God created. That's what we know for sure. There was a literal Adam and Eve. God tells human beings what they're for, okay? Can evolution happen? Sure, microevolution can happen. But we should teach our kids to be very wary of macro ev- evolution, and we should, you know, make fun of it you know like do you think you came from a monkey like it's it's kids it's so hilarious when you tell a kid that cuz they just laugh and like heck no you know mm-hmm. but um, but we also want we don't want our kids to to fear natural revelation we don't want our kids to fear science
2: mm-hmm.
0: right they shouldn't fear science mm-hmm. now scientists they're scientists on there's good scientists and there's bad scientists, right? We yeah. all know that. If you watch Batman or you watch any, right? It's always bad <laughs> scientists trying to do bad stuff. So, yeah, we should we should be wary of accepting everything that is presented as science because obviously we know this year everybody's saying they got science on their side, yeah. right? Yeah. And we don't know what science says yet because it takes a while. So, um, yeah, anything else on that? Did I answer that? okay um, and and again guys if I'm uh, I am not a scientist myself and I always I always forget with you know certain dates and, and details and so I, I'm a big picture guy so um, if I'm wrong on that thing um, you can send an email to, to Alex Tate at uh, <laughs> sacredcitychurch.com um, okay next one so God is the creator. Creation is given. It demands our allegiance, demands our worship. We're stewards of it. Hey, gentlemen, just think about that. The fact that creation was given to us by God, what does that say
1: about how we should treat it? We surely shouldn't throw trash in our car.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I just, uh, uh, yeah, just like maybe an hour ago, wrote a little paper on this. Uh, I think that it's not to be abused, but used for the benefits that it provides, like the specific resources that we have. Um, But I don't think that we're, we should be like tree huggers or anything like that.
0: What do you mean by that? Like That's offensive. That's an offensive word there, dude.
2: Uh what do you mean by that? super cautious about uh making protecting the environment a top priority. Why not? Uh well, because we're called to also reap the benefits of this environment. And so we shouldn't.
0: Why do you assume that those two things are at odds with each other?
2: Uh Well, I mean, I don't know the i guess the stereotypes that come with them like that's it like the the tree hugger stereotype where you can't you know let's let's really watch what uh resources we're using let's really you know let's not use this specific resource because of what it does to the environment let's uh you don't maybe think that's not, a good thing I think coal's a good thing. I think that eating meat is a good thing. My
0: my Kentucky bro here, my (laughs) Kentucky bro from the Appalachian hills, he's talking about coal mining here. He's talking about does coal is there a way to? So I'm not saying coal's not a bad thing. I'm not Mm -hmm. pushing against that, but there are there's ways of harvesting coal that destroy the environment, poison water, poison communities, right? Level level like do great damage to the environment. Should there be here we, we're getting into some should there be policies against it? So should a Christian, would a Christian coal miner and a non-Christian coal miner operate their industry or oper, operate their businesses in the same in the same way?
2: I don't think so. I think it should be a, like you should really focus on like the abuse as a key word. Like, are we abusing the environment or are we using the environment?
0: Okay, so I, I agree with that, and I, but I, I don't think calling somebody a tree... Because if I'm just not wanting to abuse the environment, you might call me a tree hugger, and that would shut off communication because you think I'm trying to do something I'm not. I'm not saying all, we should never use coal, but I'm saying maybe we shouldn't strip mine. Maybe we shouldn't cut down all these trees. Maybe we shouldn't cut down all these mountains. Maybe we shouldn't poison these water wells downstream with the runoff. Maybe we, There's a lot of ways that, that you can do that poorly. Mm -hmm. Right, And so this is what I'll say. Christians should be conservationists. Most Christians call themselves conservative, right? Mm -hmm. That's the core word there in conservation. Can we use it for our good? Absolutely. Are we meant to build civilizations and build cities and build towns? Yes, absolutely. But we should ask ourselves, is there ways of doing this that is less invasive or less destructive or less abusive to the environment that God's given us. Sure. Yeah. Right. And that's, um, not, uh, and I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't, if I was going to laugh at somebody, I wouldn't say it's the, it's the tree hugger. I'd say it's the person that won't eat it, won't eat freaking honey because it's, you know, abusive to bees. They're, they're vegans and they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they won't, They won't eat anything. When God says, I've given you this food, I've given you these animals, I've given you this stuff to eat, and they reject those things um, as not good. Yeah. So they're not receiving the givenness of those things.
2: Yeah, that's what I was saying. There's a a middle ground between these two extremes of damaging everything and abusing it and then just not using the resources God's given us because we don't want to. I mean, essentially, you've made the environment an idol at that point if you're just going to reject everything. That God's given you to use, like honey or meat, or do you know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. Yep. You're not receiving. You're not receiving. And I think you know there's a there's a big swath in our culture that are trying to move towards that direction of being living in some kind of technologically advanced world like the Matrix or something, where you go and you just get genetically modified meat and you get genetically modified food and your everything tastes like chicken, right? You just go and you don't need Necessarily, um,
1: the creation, yeah. right? So caring for our, caring for uh, creation, would you say that would be the, very similar to like caring for our bodies? Yeah, yeah. We're we're,
0: we're meant to be stewards. Mm. I mean, Adam was meant to be a steward of the the Garden of Eden, right? If Adam had a wild child, it was like, Dad, I'm gonna cut down every tree, and he's like, Why? Because like, 'Cause they're there, and I just want to. Mm. Adam would be like, No, <laughs> son, that's. Not honoring God's creation. Mm. You want to cut down a few trees to build a house? All right, let's do that. Right, right. Um, yeah. So it's being a good steward. But you can go the other direction, sit there, and you're freezing to death, but you won't burn a burn a stick of wood. Right. I don't yeah. want to cut. I don't want to start a fire because then it's going to burn tree a tree. Yeah. No. Wrong. Okay. Now this another implication from this. Where are we at? We might only get to this today. Where are we at, Kevin? How long have we been going, you know? Shoot, we've been going for at least half an hour, maybe 40 minutes. All right, we ain't moving past this one yet. So here's my other thing. Of creation, we should teach our children to be scientists. We should teach our children to study God's natural revelation. Our, Our kids should grow up and be great scientists. The Human Genome Project... I don't know everything about it, figuring out the sequence of the DNA. That was led by a Christian, Francis Collins. He's the head of it. You know who Fauci's boss is? Francis Collins, a Christian. That's Fauci's boss. Mm. Now, he, Francis Collins, he believes in evolution. He believes in what's called theistic evolution. Basically, now I, I don't believe in theistic re- evolution, and this is why. I can't make sense of Genesis 1 and 2 in theistic evolution, okay? I just can't make sense of it. There's people that try. Francis Collins is one of them. Here's the idea of theistic evolution. God created, yes, but he kind of created the unformed substance of man and then he guided the process of the Big Bang and he guided the process of evolution. We've all evolved from all those single-cell organisms and all this stuff, but God guided it, okay? Now, Philosophically, that makes sense to me. Philosophically, I can get behind it because you still have a creator, and you don't have blind random process of evolution. You have a guided process of evolution. But Genesis one and two just doesn't make sense in that in that worldview, yeah. and so I I have to say I reject it. Now, also, you've got to reject. Well, what is the process of evolution? The process of evolution is the most violent, death filled. Theory you could possibly come up with it's basically like you you've got billions of you know this species that just dies and dies and dies and finally one evolves and then you've got it's just full of death all you have in the process of evolution is death, death 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 and one lucky chance death 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 one lucky chance death 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 one lucky chance that doesn't look like a good gracious God guiding you know, providentially god go- governing the universe to me. Yeah. So I I I don't believe it. Um, yeah, I, I don't believe it. So we should teach our children to be to be in science, so to study God's natural world, to to be engineers and doctors and psychologists. We should encourage we we I don't like the idea that some Christians have of making their kids afraid of the natural sciences. Yes, they're going to have to be prepared. Yes, every professor they have in college, they're going to have to fight with and battle with. But it can be done. Yeah. And there are top scientists in our world today that are Christians and that hold a biblical a biblical worldview, an orthodox biblical worldview.
2: Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like in order to be apologetically informed, you have to know what you're going to be like debating in that apologetic topic that you're talking about like if i don't know anything about an evolutionist view of creation or evolution i'm not going to be able to communicate the gospel or creation to them very well
0: most people have most people the plausibility structure of our society that means what people already assume they they just they believe it and they don't even know they believe it most people believe in evolution okay most be- most people believe in it, but most people don't believe it all the way down. They don't believe, they don't have, they're not philosophers, so they don't take it to its logical end. Oh, so it's okay. You know, the survival of the fittest. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Can we-, can we still do that? It's okay to kill people that are weaker than us? No. Well, then who are you to stop evolution now? Why are we, so we're evolved, but now we're stopping the process? Or do we... Are we trying to evolve further, yeah. right?
2: Morals just get in the way.
0: Morals just get in the way of evolution, absolutely. And if you look at our world, it's not like we're, we've reached utopia, right? Don't we? Don't we all think we need to evolve a little more, right? So then, why are we, why do we stop the process? Okay, morals. We we ev- almost everyone believes that there's absolute truth. Rape is wrong. Murder is wrong. Stealing is wrong. Right. You can't get that from science. You can't get that from evolution. You can't get that from anything. All science tells us is what is. It never tells us what ought to be. It never can give us values. It can never give us give us morals. So most people in our society hold they believe evolution is true, but then they're actually more formed by a Christian view of history and life. So they've they're kind of blending the two together in a sense, Mm -hmm. even though they would even reject Christianity in a sense. But it's like, well, where'd you get your morals from? Where'd you get your values from? Where'd you get your sense of autonomy from? Where'd you get your individual rights from? All of that comes from the Judeo-Christian story of the world. And our story comes out of, we have all these values. We have all these truths because God is the source of everything. He's the creator, source of wisdom, source of value, source of moral, source of truth. He's the source of it. Source of rationality. Why can we trust science? We trust science because a rational being created a rational universe. Created a universe. I don't know if it's rational. A a universe that's created that can be studied. If I jump, I come back down today. If this was an irrational universe... Tomorrow I jump and I might not come back down. Mm -hmm. But I can trust in the rationality of the universe because there's a rational God behind it. It is not random. Right? I I start a fire the same way today as you did 100 years ago. Yeah. Right? Our universe is created in such a way because it's created by a rational God. It's meant to be discovered. It's meant to be, the riches are meant to be delved. We're meant to delve deep. In the natural resources of our society, and build things, discover the human body, discover how the human body works, discover what organs do, discover how to open somebody up and perform surgery on them and take a heart out and put a new heart in. Christians should be doing all those things. We should, and we, and I'm right now. I'm like, parents, please train your children to love the sciences, to love the world, so they don't grow up and just want to make a lot of money and be entertainers, or be YouTube stars, or be musicians. We're, let's build societies let's 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 make a better a, a, a better a better country and a better nation and a better world so i think our um, christian parents should say god created it all he created a rational universe and we can discover that through science and so don't buy, when you're when your biology teacher says you came from you know sludge in the universe sludge on the you know a pool of sludge in the universe But we were the one, you know, we were the one cell that just had enough oomph to make it through the sludge and become something else. Laugh at them. Laugh at them. Nope, nope. We were created in the image of God by a rational, loving, relational God. So, of creation, that's one, chapter one. And he created it all very good. Now, of course, we said already, it's not very good, completely good anymore because we We fell. You guys got any other thoughts or questions on that anything else anything I haven't hit Kev that I, need, I should hit no I think that's about it and then mm. some I got one more thing my buddy I'm going to give a shout out to my buddy Josh Josh Gallier um, I think he was like a biology major in uh, in college And so just came to accept evolution and, you know, the whole kind of scientific worldview. And then when he heard the gospel, the gospel was good news to him, but he didn't know how to, he didn't know what to do with his science. He didn't know what to do with all of his training and all of his background. Do I just throw it away? Because, you know, Christians don't believe in science. I remember one of the first things he asked me, and I, and that's so he kind of came to faith in that worldview of like Christianity and science are at odds with one another, and they're not. But he came to faith in that worldview, so he asked me, he's like, "Hey, um, what about the dinosaurs?" I was like, "What? What do you mean? What about the dinosaurs? Do we?" He said something like, well, "Do we? Do we believe in dinosaurs?" I'm like, "Do we believe in?" Di- we have bones. Like, there's bones of dinosaurs, bro. Like, what do, you, what do you mean? Yeah, we believe in dinosaurs. And I was joking with him, but I was kind of like taken back. I'm like, oh, I forgot that there's whole swaths of Christianity that kind of teach you just to completely distrust all science. Mm-hmm. And we have in Scripture, we have beasts, and we have Leviathan, and we have these different things, and we have a great dragon in the book of Revelation. You know? Some of that's metaphorical, but some of that... Yeah, of course we believe, we believe in science. We believe if you discover something, then God did it or God allowed it. And so our our worldview is not at odds with the real world. Now, am, so on this topic, so there's some people that are hard and fast, young earth creationists. Okay, I'm not that passionate about it. I'm not that concerned about it. I don't know. I don't know if we are. I don't know how old the Earth is. Um, it does seem old, right? But cataclysmic events like the flood, right, in, uh, in the Book of Genesis, they can change the way the they can disrupt all kinds of things and make the look the world look older than it is. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not willing to die on it. And so, if I'm arguing apologetically with a person who already believes in the old Earth, my goal is, I'll almost. Succeed or I'll give them that point because I don't. It's not a. It's a moot point to me. Yeah. And I'm gonna. I'm just gonna get like the. So he's thinking, oh, the Bible teaches young Earth, so I can dismiss the whole Bible because the Earth is old. And I'm like, no, actually, there's a few theories out there where you can get, you can see, you can read the Bible this way and see it this way and see that way. Where there's lots of Christians who believe in an old Earth. So no, 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 you don't get to just dismiss the whole thing because you think the Bible contradicts in that one area. Mm. Right. And again, I'm always going back, and then I'm gonna go next step is Jesus Christ, because Jesus came to the earth and Jesus is the Son of God. He knows exact he was there on creation. Yeah. He knows exactly how things were created. And Jesus himself said, In the beginning, God created them, male and female. Right? And that's the next part. We won't get into that tonight. But Mm. so Jesus doesn't say in the beginning, God said, Let there be light and Started the Big Bang, and then a million later, million years later, he chose a couple of a couple of you know primates that were on the edge. They had ate some mushrooms and they had received some revelation, and they were on the edge of becoming man. And so he chose the best looking, you know, apes, and he said, "Though I'm gonna call that one Adam, I'm gonna cut that one Eve." You know, that's not that's not the biblical story that Jesus told, and Jesus is the Son of God. He was there present at creation. Mm. So I'm going with Jesus, and I'm going with the Bible. And I'm still teaching my kids, trust science, but don't blindly accept everything they tell you, right? Mm-hmm. We sh- we've learned that this year, as scientists <laughs> so disagree like a, about
2: everything. A, I don't know, a difference between trusting science and then putting faith in science? Would you call it the same thing, or would that be different?
0: Okay, it's funny, because even science, scientists, they just say, trust the evidence, trust the evidence. I don't, I don't want have anything to do with faith. Well, then you don't understand science. In order for science to work, a scientist has to have faith in something he can't prove: the rationality of the universe. If 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 it's random, everything being random and being rational are two separate things. Mm-hmm. For the scientific method to work, you have to have a presupposition that the universe is discoverable, understandable, and coherent and rational, right? So he believes that in order to trust the scientific method. So bel- I believe, therefore I know. Mm-hmm. Belief, faith comes before knowing. Well, same thing for the Christians. But my belief comes in the revealed wor- word of God, that, that God created everything. I believe that. And I believe he cre- he's rational. He created the world rational, discoverable, understandable. So I can go out and apply the tools of my rationality, the tools of the scientific method that he's given us, right? I can apply that, and it actually works in his universe because he's behind it all. Yeah. But he also gave me the word of God, which I trust by faith. We're still believing. St. Augustine said, you don't know in order to believe. You believe in order to know. A faith commitment always comes first. Faith commitment always comes before actually knowing. Then you can verify. Then you can do scientific tests. But evo- macroevolution is not scientifically verifiable. It, can never, it has never been reproduced. has never been proven. We, we have no, you know, it is, it isn't, it's a theory, but it is not scientifically verified.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? So it, you, they're taking it by faith. They're believing that by faith and then building things off of it. So... Was that your question?
2: Yeah. I think you hit it.
0: And there was one other... I, was, I had another point. Tell me your question again, if you rem- if you remember what it was.
2: Um, is trusting in science necessarily the same as faith in there science? There we go.
0: Yes. But there is a thing called scientism. And scientism is what I call science as your God. Right? And that is... That is putting faith, putting your complete trust and your complete faith in, in, in science. And, and what I've, and usually that me involves in like idolizing scientists. And it's usually done on the left wing of the political spectrum. In ours right now, people walking around with Fauci t-shirts and people naming their kids Fauci and the people, people like worshiping it. And they're like, and that's like so in, ungenuine. It's like, how many times has Fauci been wrong? How many Fauci Fauci's lied to us. Fauci's told us incorrect things. Fauci's been wrong, so your worldview is built on a faulty foundation. Yeah, it, it science is built on a little bit of cynicism. Like we want to verify everything. Okay, that's a theory. Cool. So even think about the scientific discovery. Scientific science. We find out things because first we f- we have faith in things. I right now. There's people who believe in aliens. Their faith causes them to study aliens, to study science and astrology and the stars and all and other planets. But what's what's driving their study? Faith. Yeah. A blind faith. Now maybe they can, maybe they'll go out and they find some some um, they they test that, right? So they have, a, they have a theory, they have a hypothesis, that's faith, and then they go out and they test that hypothesis through real world examples, right? But it's still, scientific discovery is based on faith. People come into this country on faith. They're going to put their foot down here, they're going to find a better place, they're going to find another place. Faith first, then comes knowledge, and you can test that. Right, and so science, even even the even science itself, is based first in faith, and then in testing and hypothesis and verifiable facts. So we should have, we should be a little cynical. We should be just slow, is what I say. Slow because science speaks slowly, and there's a whole lot of um, wishy-washy stuff. Now listen, I'm a pastor, and I just said a whole bunch of stuff that. that um, might get you, might be, might be, might get me in hot water. So if I'm wrong, um, email Kevin this time. <laughs> email Kevin and let Kevin know, and uh, Kevin will delete that email and then uh, tell me. No, just <laughs> they don't have my email address anyway. Don't have it yet. All right. So cool. All right. So that's on creation, guys. Um, that's on creation. God created it all, and we we're meant to get out there and discover uh, what that looks like and the pieces of creation and um, glorify Him because of it. So hopefully that's helpful for you. And um, yeah, we love you guys. Please do the thing. Like us, share us, subscribe, and rate us on the podcast. Do that for us. And send any emails, Dean at sacredcitychurch.com so I can answer those emails. I'd love to do it. And we'll uh, come at you soon. God bless you guys. See you later.